My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Have you ever given birth or welcomed a child into your relationship, or do you hope to one day? Whether your answer is yes, or you simply want to learn a little more about sex, intimacy, and well-being after childbirth, today's episode is for you. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so grateful that you are tuning in. I'm not a parent myself and can only imagine the significant changes childbirth brings, let alone being a parent. And as someone who is super passionate about sexual wellness and vibrancy, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work and powerful voice of today's guest. A heads up quickly that much of the conversation you're about to hear focuses on cisgender women who give birth, but a whole lot of it applies just as well to trans and non-binary individuals. And I think we can all stand to learn more about women's postpartum, a.k.a. after childbirth experiences. Later in the show, you'll also hear from Dr. Megan Fleming, who will weigh in for a listener wondering why her vagina feels itchy after solo play. Today's episode is brought to you in part by The Pleasure Chest, a fantastic store chain with locations in Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago, as well as a wonderful online shop. Head to thepleasurechest.com to learn more or to start shopping for sex toys, sexual health products, books, and more. I'm also super excited to announce that my first Girl Boner book release event in Los Angeles will take place at The Pleasure Chest, where I will be recording a live episode of Girl Boner Radio with two fantastic people. I adore these women, Erica Garza and Susie Favor-Hamilton. I've interviewed both of them. They've both written incredible memoirs on deeply personal and important topics, and they're featured in my book. We'll be chatting about sex and mental health, what it's like to write about these deeply personal and culturally taboo subjects and more. If you're in the area, I hope you'll join us at the Pleasure Chest in West Hollywood on Sunday, August 26th from 4 to 6 p.m. If not, you can still hear it. Stay tuned for the episode right here. Speaking of my book, you can now pre-order it and a companion book called Girl Boner Journal on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and target.com. It releases on August 7th. If you place an order between now and August 7th, you can also enter to win a $100 Pleasure Chest gift card plus a very, very sexy surprise. And you can find those details at augustmclaughlin.com. I also shared them on Instagram. Now, I'm so pleased to introduce to you all Kimberly Ann Johnson, a sexological body worker, birth doula, and single mom who specializes in helping women prepare for birth, recover from birth injuries and birth trauma, and heal from sexual trauma. She is the founder of MAGA Mama, an international holistic women's healthcare resource for expectant and new mothers, and co-founder of the Stream School for Pelvic Care, where she trains birth professionals, yoga teachers, somatic therapists, and body workers to help women prepare for and recover from birth. Her book, The Fourth Trimester, a postpartum guide to healing your body, Balancing Your Emotions and Restoring Your Vitality is a fascinating read, and she has private practices in San Diego, here in L.A. and in New York. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kimberly. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? 
Very well. I'm excited to talk to you. Your book is really fascinating and mm. I think really important. The title is so interesting, mm. The Fourth Trimester. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with that approach? Well, the term The Fourth Trimester, there's actually a couple books that are written called The Fourth Trimester, and some of them are about that from a baby's perspective, and then some of it are about that from the mother's perspective. And just because women have so much information about how they should eat and exercise in their first trimester, their second trimester, their third trimester, but this phase of women's health is so forgotten. And so giving it a name that intimates the continuity of the experience also just helps people kind of connect it like, oh, yeah, I'm just as interconnected. My well-being is just as interconnected with my baby now as it was when they were inside of me. And we tend to be able to understand that with the baby, like, well, of course the baby needs its mother then, but we don't quite understand that the mother also needs its baby then. And so the way that we care for women changes when we look at that. So even things like in a lot of hospitals still, a baby's born and then they're put in their, like, plastic bassinet. And I've been at birth situations where the woman is separated from her baby after the birth and her body's still contracting and she's still feeling tons of pain and painkillers aren't working and I know the reason it is is because she's not with her baby and the minute they bring the baby her body calms down because the interdependent intelligence of the two nervous systems that were you know developed alongside each other is still intact and so that name is just sort of because some people say well how long is the fourth trimester because a trimester is three months but the point of the book is really that once you have a baby or you once you've ever been pregnant you're never not pregnant again and so uh, however that birth ends whether that's a miscarriage uh, a loss or an actual birth that you're always postpartum after that and that experience is different than mm -hmm. we have a new identity a new sense of self a new body to relearn mm. I know that your own personal experience has played a big role in this work you endured an injury giving birth mm -hmm. and then went on a journey. Could you share a bit about that? Sure, yeah. So all of my big work in my life is born out of my own experience. And this body of work is no exception. So sometimes my book talks about creating a postpartum plan. And then a lot of women read the book and they're already past their fourth trimester, and then they're like, oh, no, I didn't do any of that. And I'm like, neither did I. That's the whole point. I didn't know any of this. If you would have asked me if I had a postpartum plan, I would have <laughs> looked at you strangely and said, yeah, my breasts in a sling. Um, I had <laughs> yeah. no idea that there was anything else that one would need. And so that sort of shining the light on my own ignorance and studying and looking around and understanding that this wasn't a personal failure of mine, that this was a collective gap in huge, actually more like a gape in our unconscious that's not getting filled in culturally was sort of the impetus for the book. So people say like, why was your birth so traumatic when you're so healthy and you're so this? And first of all, I don't think my birth situation was that traumatic. I think it was kind of average. You know, it was the birth I wanted. It was a home birth. It was what I planned for. It's what I already, always dreamed of. And there are elements in every birth that are gems of our soul passage. No matter how heartwarming or how breaking, heartbreaking the birth story is, there's just always wisdom for us in it. And in my case, I don't think I had a specifically super challenging birth. It was really my postpartum experience that was so different than anything I could have imagined. And I would never have known, for instance, that things like food would make any kind of a difference. I always ate healthy, 
But I grew up in the U.S. and I was in Brazil when I had my baby. And I just didn't realize, like, I don't have any comfort food. I don't actually have food that was made in the soil that I was made from. And I didn't recognize that that would have any kind of an impact. What kind of impact did it seem to have? I just felt very disoriented and confused and displaced. And I, there was several things that could fill in that gap. You know, like it could have been filled in if I had women friends that knew me for a long time. But Brazil is really far from the U.S. and that was hard to orchestrate. It could have filled in by having women family members around me. Also hard to orchestrate. My mom was there as long as she could be, but I gave birth three weeks after my quote-unquote due date. And so she'd already been there for three weeks, so she could stay one more week. And I just, like I said, I had no idea that instead of just saving money and resources for the birth, I really needed, like, more important is saving money for what happens afterwards because Mm -hmm. the birth itself can only last one to three days and the postpartum time can last as long as it needs to until your life force can restore itself. And, And the less we have on the front end, the more work there is to do on the back end, the more sort of reparation and... Uh, recovery that every nobody likes the word recovery well why should I recover women give birth all the time I'm badass like I'm just gonna get back to it but the fact of the matter is if if we had the wound site externally that we have internally from where the placenta leaves the uterus no one would ever think of going outside I didn't even thought of that yeah that's a you know it's like a dinner plate size wound site where the placenta detaches from the uterus wow they, you know, you lose a ton of blood. Your progesterone drops 300% uh, when you birth the placenta. So there's so many physiological processes. There's 16 suspensory ligaments that hold up the uterus that become kind of like loose taffy and they need time to gel back up. But you can't see any of that. So it's all mysterious and it's all internal. And we don't think about our organs until they're bothering us. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we don't have, because it's not an embodied culture and we, we're not really used to using our body as our compass and our intuitive radar, we just think, well, you look pretty good. And even if you don't, whatever, let's go to Target and um, let's do this, let's do that. And there's also what's happening, like uh, the best analogy I've come up with so far, and I hope to come up with a better one soon, and I guess it's just because I can relate to it, is I had my wisdom teeth out as an adult and I remember that a week out, I thought I was normal. And then another week out, I was like, oh my God, last week I was totally not normal. But I didn't realize it in the moment. That makes so much sense. And so you see women two days out, four days out, 10 days out postpartum, they're still reorienting themselves. And so they're doing crazy stuff because they don't even realize what they're doing. Aren't they also really adrenalized? I have three sisters who have a whole bunch of kids. I haven't had children myself. Mm -hmm. But my mom told me that this was her experience as well, that after they gave birth, they had so much energy at first. Like mm-hmm. they don't even realize that they're tired and that they, that their body has been through this, this really intense process. It's, it's all this, you know, sure. Well, there's the up. adrenaline and the endorphins and part of it's survival, right? Part of it's just like, Oh my God, I survived. <laughs> and yeah. then you have this incredible being that's mm-hmm. like a miracle that you gestated. And sure. I mean, so there's all of that. And then, mm-hmm. And that's if you have a relatively decent birth experience because a lot of people are not feeling that because right, their right. birth experience was not that way. But but what happens also is a lot of people are like, well, this isn't that hard because they're not sleep deprived yet. 
So they're like, oh, everyone said this was going to be so hard. But they're like 10 days out, right? And they're like, my baby sleeps all the time because their baby is still recovering from the birth experience too. So Mm. usually new babies do sleep a lot at first. But Uh. then you hit two weeks to six weeks and the shit gets real. And I bet you have more support at first too. Whether it's from... Definitely. People know to keep coming by. People are keeping track of you. And, you know, these days, pregnant women get so much attention, right? Like, pregnant women can wear tight dresses, and it's, like, chic online, and everyone does their profile pictures with their little number next to them of, like, what month they're on. But then the baby comes, and the mom's out of the picture. And then it's just the baby with those little numbers, and the Mm -hmm. mom's gone. So there's all these... That says a lot. Right? I mean, the message that sends is really interesting. Like invisibility and, like, you don't exist anymore because, like, the thing that really mattered is already out. They call, like, the candies out of the wrapper, so just forget about the wrapper. So, yeah, at first women might have a lot of energy, but it's also this, you're in an altered state. And in an altered state, you can't recognize yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. I saw this, my, a good friend of mine just fractured her heel, and so she's on painkillers, and the conversations even we're having, I'm like, she thinks she's herself right now, but she's not. Re- she's a version of herself. Mm-hmm. But we need people to, to reflect it back to us. So I go over to some of my clients' house, and they've read my book, and they know that women need an extended rest period, like 30 to 40 days of confinement after they have a baby. And they're 10 days postpartum, and they're like, but I feel really good, so I'm going to take my dog to the beach. And I'm, and I'm just like, no, that's not how this works. If you feel good and you have energy – Conserve it. Store Mm. it. Keep it for yourself. You have to nurse this baby for as long as you choose to. You, like, you don't have energy reserves right now, but we go back to the things that used to energize us. So it's like people know, well, I feel good if I exercise or I feel good if I do this. But the thing is, is that's all anxiety driven. It's Mm. like I manage anxiety through these things, but those things are not helpful for this new phase. And because... You know, a good friend of mine also said to me, which I totally agree with, she's like, you know what, I don't want to buy your book for new moms. I want to buy your new your book for everyone else. Because she said, I knew what I needed, but I can't give it all to myself. And that's the point. Mm. The point is not self-care. The point is that women need to be mothered. Everything that a woman needs to be giving her baby at that time, she needs to be given. That gave me chills. Women need to be mothered. That's really beautiful. Because otherwise, the the mom, the parents are doing the emotional labor on top of everything else right yeah and it's really difficult for couples because a partner can't mother you the way that a woman can mother you and they can try but it's still and and I think that that's such a big misperception about how the gender roles should be operating at this time because we have this myth of equality that we're just equal and that we should be equal and we should share everything and we can do everything men can do and we can do it better. And then you have a baby and then you're like, okay, this we are different species, like officially. Like there's nothing similar about this experience. And there can't be. It doesn't need to be democratized. Like maybe some tasks and roles do. But essentially a woman is wired to be more attuned to her baby. It's hormonal. It's survival. Different pheromones, different cir- brain circuitry. And... So a man's role or a partner's role at that time is really to support the woman in supporting the baby. It's not to equally each of them turn their head to the baby and pass the baby back and forth. It's like, no, how can the mom be supported? And Mm. it's not an equal experience. And there's no reason it needs to be. It doesn't mean that men don't go through things or partners don't go through things. Non-birthing parents don't go through things. But again, that's a way of turning away the lens 
from the feminine, capital F feminine, and through the fact that women's health care is shitty. It's like throwing darts at a dartboard and women are not getting what they need postpartum. So to then try to normalize, well, men don't get what they need either. Well, that's fine. But what we're talking about right now is an epidemic in, in what's being called women's health, um, mental health, because uh, postpartum is not a mental health experience. It's an initiation. Mm-hmm. And as long as we keep our historical trend of pathologizing women's health as mental health problems, women are not going to get what they need. Because I'll tell you what's depressing. It's depressing when things are done in the hospital against your consent or in a, in a situation that you find yourself where you can't advocate for yourself anymore. It's depressing when your organs are falling out of your body. It's depressing when you're going to the bathroom and you don't have to. It's depressing when you have hemorrhoids. It's depressing when you're alone at home with an infant for more than two or three hours. Like I tell everyone, because I say, well, what's your postpartum plan? And they go, oh, well, my husband's going to be home for work for two weeks. And that's it. I'm like, okay, and what's your postpartum plan? Like, that's not a plan. Like, who's when your husband goes back to work, who's going to feed you? Who's going to hold the baby so you can take a shower? Who's going to make sure that you have the 5,000 calories a day that you need mm. so that you can not be depleted or develop an autoimmune disease or become depressed and then be given the pill and antidepressants? Because that's an inevitable conclusion of being alone all day trying to figure out a new human while your body is still recovering. It's it's insane that birthing women, birthing people don't have automatic physical therapy after birth. It's crazy. Who would have? Yeah. And then isn't that the first line of care almost in other countries? I've heard. Yeah, France. I mean, like I don't know. pelvic floor therapy. Yeah. They send someone to your house every week for six weeks to, to help you do postural rehabilitation to learn how to breathe again mm-hmm. to bring consciousness back to the area and so here it's like a everything is like a luxury oh yeah my I had to ask my doctor for PT it's like okay well you had either a surgical birth or a mechanical intervention which statistically is an 87 percent pelvic floor dysfunction rate how is that not an automatic referral and then only the people that know to ask for it, ask for it. And also the people who are brave enough to come out of the shame that they feel for talking about their genitals and talking about things, you know. And some women honestly don't even recognize it's happening because there's so much other stuff going on. And isn't it normalized, too, in a way? Like, I've heard from some women who've heard from doctors, like, oh, just it's normal. drink some wine. Like, oh, you went through a lot, don't worry about it kind of thing where the pain isn't respected either. So like you bring it up and you might feel shame and then you're told it's not even real would be, I think, deep in the shame. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people that go to many practitioners and they're, they're trying. They're trying to get the right help. They're trying to hear something that makes sense. That's why, you know, people who come to me often say this is the first time the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Mm-hmm. And that's an honor to be in that situation where I can actually give people the context for the broader framework of, first of all, this is not a personal failure. Like every single person who's had a baby thinks they should be doing better than they're doing. And they think everyone else is doing better than they are. 
based on just how they look. I say it's just like meditation. If you look around a meditation room, it looks like everyone's doing better than you because you can't see what's going on in their mind. I feel so that you way in yoga class. Right? I, I, know you, I go to a yoga class of like 80-year-olds who are doing these amazing things and I'm falling over constantly. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, in that case, you're comparing yourself to something you can see. Yeah. But in this case, people are making assumptions based – you can't see how quiet someone's mind is. Right. So you only Good know point. the nature of your own mind. And then you're looking around going, well, everyone's probably doing better than me. Mm-hmm. And that's what the postpartum people do who come to see me. It's like whether they're three weeks out or they're one year out, they think everyone's just doing so much better than them. And I have to – I mean, I feel really lucky that when I was having difficulties in my postpartum time, which, by the way, is just a period of time. So in this culture, the word postpartum has become synonymous with depression. So people right. just go like, well, they I don't have postpartum. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have that. Oh, my right. sister totally went through that. And I'm like, well, if you had a child, you've been through the postpartum period. Uh, so even the word has gotten this bad rep. But it's such a huge continuity question. My daughter's in fifth grade, and she just had her first, like, quote, unquote, health class, which is, like, supposed to be sex ed. And she came home, and she we I could watch the videos. So she was like, Mom's so bogus. I'm like, all right, well, let's look at it. <laughs> she probably knows a lot. She does. And yeah. It, but it was super bogus. It was animated, first of all. She's t- 10 years old. Like, she's just like, they think we're second graders. But the point was that the whole thing was about puberty and then about periods. And then what it was about periods was what's PMS. So it wasn't like your period is this amazing compass that will tell you all about your health and that throughout the month you can actually learn so much about who you are based on that. It was like, Here's products that you can use sponsored by Always. And look out. You're going to bleed and hurt a lot. Right. That's what I remember. And my daughter asked me, is it true you can gain up to eight pounds every they time? told her that? Yeah. I don't know where she found it out. But, like, you know, she's, like, bloating and acne. And we don't have acne in my family. She's not going to get acne. We have dry skin. Like, it's – I'm like, okay, one thing you don't need to worry about is acne. Mm-hmm. So, like, just – she's like, I need to wash my face. I'm like – you really don't. You really don't. Poor thing. I'm so glad she has you to talk to because right. – Well, that's what she said. Yeah. She was like, they were going to tell us how to put a tampon in. And I and I told them, I don't want to learn that from you. I want to learn that from my mom. And I thought, well, that's good. <laughs> but um, – That's amazing. The point is just that from such an early time, we're not taught about the power of our bodies, the power of our cycles, and that our bodies are our own and we have a lot of choices with them. And, and it comes from a somatic confidence – uh, and then if, if that's where we started and we had rites of passage as adolescents, then we wouldn't come to the altar of birth and hand our pelvis over to a surgeon or a doctor or, um, you know, so many people want middle ground with birth. They want a home birth in a hospital. It's like, my friend, that doesn't exist. Like, and some people listening to this will be like, well, I had that or whatever. It exists as an exception. But the biggest indicator of whether or not a woman will have, a person will have a cesarean is the statistic rate of that hospital. So it's not pre-existing conditions. It's not previous births. It's not healthcare provider. It's not age. It's not not risk factor. It's ha- the percentage of the hospital. So if really? the hospital has a thirty-three percent, then that's going to determine it. Then she has like a thirty-three percent chance of a cesarean. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how those map onto each other. I just saw the study and I know it to be true because yeah. as a doula, I'm in sure, different hospitals sure. and we know. I mean, we know based on it. the statistics yeah, yeah. yeah and doctors, care providers. But the, wow. even the care provider can't overcome the hospital environment. My which gosh, is interesting. that's so interesting. I love that you talk about reclaiming your sexuality in the book. And I wonder first, that, that phrase, like reclaiming kind of sounds like 
you know, is it because, did you use that because it's sort of what we learn about how now you're not a sexual being, so you're, you're taking that identity back, or is it more about the transformation of this is my new body? Mm-hmm. I think maybe for some people it should be called claim your sexuality because for so many people this is the first time that they've really they've been having habitual patterns, maybe performative sex, maybe going along with things, and then the postpartum time is a time when they just can't tolerate things anymore and they didn't real they didn't know they were tolerating, but now that they're on the other side of it, they're like, I don't want that kind of sex anymore and they don't it's confusing because they don't necessarily know how to use their voice or ask for something different, but they are clear that they're clear on what they don't want. And so it becomes I, I consider it to be a real maturation point that it's you can have better sex than you've ever had, but it's not always a welcomed shift because it seems so disconcerting. And also because all of our conditioning about pleasing the other and our sexuality being always in relationship to another rather than sexuality being something that's our own. Um, I read a quote recently that I totally disagreed with. It said, your sexuality is what was it your sexuality is who you go to bed with but your gender is I don't know it was something else and I was like no your sexuality is your inherent life force that is always your own it has nothing to do with anyone else you have a sexuality if you don't have a partner right and then your erotic expression is a unique individual expression of that sexuality Mm -hmm. and then your gender is something that's completely different from that so I don't know I just think the reclamation part is about, I learned, uh, I read a book called Maternity Coming Face-to-Face with Your Own Shadow by Laura Gutman, and she, she's an Argentinian psychologist, and she wrote this phrase, the feminization of sex. And so the postpartum time requires that because penetration is just not comfortable postpartum for most women. But if that's the only kind of sex you've ever had, then it feels we have these cultural scripts of I'm touched out or I have a low libido, but really that just means I don't want the sex I'm being offered. I love that. So they so say, I don't much. want sex. Yeah. I'm, I, ugh. but it's like, they don't want the five minute quickie or they don't want hard and fast, or they just need more time. And women are so apologetic about quote unquote foreplay. Like they'll be like, well, I really need floor play. And I'm like, sister, so does everyone. And I wish I could never hear that word ever again I know. in my lifetime. To me, it's uh, like, that is sex. It's it not, is sex. I don't like to separate kissing or fondling or all these other things from one particular kind of penetration. That's it's misleading. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, obviously too, it's totally heteronormative. And it's obvious why people do it. It's because that's what porn shows us. And all the imagery is based on the male arousal trajectory and male arousal works completely different than female arousal. And so the postpartum time is really like an invitation into the female arousal trajectory. Mm -hmm. And so it's an, I mean, it really is a time where you could have better sex than ever. And a lot of times women, the, the channel, it was really opened through birth. People think a bit of like, oh, my vagina is going to get decimated and like, oh, I hope I'm not stretched out and all this stuff. A lot of times people have total energetic openings because it clears stuff out as the baby comes through. Some and people have orgasms while giving birth, true. I read about, which yeah. is really interesting. Yeah, it's possible. And some people have climaxes and the kind that you would imagine. And then some people, the orgasm is just something that most people don't equate with the word orgasm, which is like deeply earthly deeply internal and powerful and 
I did not have an orgasmic birth. My birth was super painful and um, I wasn't expecting it to be different. So there was no disappointment. It was like birth is going to be birth because not yeah. all sex is pleasurable either. And that's Hopefully a really good most point of too. It is, but yeah. um, there's, if you're really open and you're available for emotional and spiritual and psychological transformation, yeah. then it's going to look a million different ways. So uh, yeah, the reclamation piece I think is probably also a meta level thing of like, yeah, we all need to reclaim our sexuality because it's, we live in a culture where it's shamed and there's tons of negative connotations and supposedly, you know, quote unquote sex sells, but what, what sex is selling and what imagery are we being offered? And so the postpartum time is a real time to, to reckon with that and to be able to start to, you know, I I always try to help my clients understand and develop sort of a buffet of options of what would be appealing for them Mm -hmm. because we're trained to say no. I mean, even from my daughter's age, like everyone is projects so much stuff like, Oh, you better watch out. You know, she's so beautiful. You better lock her up. And it's like, what, why? Because men are so predatorial and like, like she's unsafe in the world and I should protect her. Like, what is that about? And it's, again, it's just this false script that men always want something and women's job is to be the gatekeeper and to say no, but we don't, I like, I want to train my daughter to say yes. Like, what does she want to say yes to? What's interesting? How can she offer an invitation? How does she decide that? And that's really, you know, if you haven't learned that earlier on, which most of us haven't, and there's no shame there. Like, this is another time to so learn true. it. Yeah, yeah. It's because, interesting because consent so often, the con- the conversation entirely feels like it's a no conversation. When, in fact, by practicing our not only our boundary setting, but what we get to say yes to. Right. That's what it's really about. Yeah. I mean, there's such unsexy words. And I think that I see that as the difference between consent and permission. Mm. Permission is like, oh, someone's asking you permission. Consent is like, we're in this together deciding and listening to what mm-hmm. wants to happen next. And I think that it's really, it's very, I don't think I know. It's very, very hard for most people to identify those wants. When I tell them that for me, A is meeting someone, E is kissing, and, you know, over here at R is penetration, it's blank slate between D and R. It's like, well, what could, okay, yeah, oral sex goes in there somewhere, but then, like, what else is there? People can't even mm-hmm. imagine, like, what else might be available as possible. So that is a good starting point is to explore those as you do with your clients is what can you imagine? Have you thought about this? Yeah. Or what's your favorite erotic experience in your past or, and then also recognizing that there is a hierarchy of needs. So if you're a lot of, you know, women are having a lot of trouble with early motherhood and there's lots of reasons for it, but you have to see sex as a resource and something that you're receiving, not just something you're giving. Because if it's something you're giving, you're not going to want to do it because you're already gived out. You're giving everything you have. You're giving more than you even thought you could or you even knew was possible to give. If sex is just one more thing that you're offering someone, you're not going to want it. So yeah. what's the sex that you can have that's receiving that would feel good to you the thing that you're not because a lot of people say well we're just tired at night so we just go to sleep and it's like yeah but don't you remember a time in your relationship where you would stay up all night because there was nothing that was more important to you than that interaction and that connection you can recreate that and even if it's just an hour or half an hour um that connection is what's going to make the rest of the life 
of your life seem brighter. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to make you want to get up in the morning because you have that extra life force and connection and aliveness and yeah. erotic capacity. That's really beautiful. So I know you explore a lot of physiology in your book and how all of this is interconnected physically, emotionally, spiritually. What kind of impact can overcoming shame around all of this have on the body? Like physically, what are some of the benefits from moving forward? Well, when women have what they need in the immediate postpartum period, so they have an extended rest period where they're not really going out of their house for 30 to 45 days when they're having enough food that's collagen dense and mineral rich when they have spiritual companionship when they have loving touch and the last one is contact with nature when they have those things ayurveda says 42 days for 42 years so that what happens in those 42 days sets you up for the next 42 years so if you have all that you need at that time or most of what you need, you can emerge with more radiant health. So you can heal lifelong illnesses. People have healed migraines, healed skin disorders because they are so well. The system is so latent at that time that you can actually really charge it, charge it. But at the same time, if you don't have what you need, which is what we're seeing, then women end up in isolation and depression and loneliness and all that. So you can emerge from the period more creative and more whole and more ready for this next phase of life and stronger in your partnership. That's so beautiful. I love that. So I know you, in addition to being a doula and an author and doing all these other wonderful things, you teach workshops, courses. Could you share a little bit about some of the offerings in case people are listening and they want to participate? Sure, yeah. So the most radical thing that I do, which is where – my work really comes from is that I am a body worker. So I do hands on hands in internal pelvic floor work. So I put on gloves and I work in vaginas and anuses primarily. And I help women prepare for birth that way. I help them recover from birth and then I help them heal from sexual trauma. So, um, that's the most sort of powerful place that I'm in constant conversation in every way um, with all those layers. So that's where the genesis of my work is. And I have private practices in San Diego and LA and New York, um, but I have really long wait lists. And that's not, the point is really just to say the work exists and that if somebody needs that help and they hear that and they go, yeah, like that makes sense. Instead of segmenting health out, like, oh, I'm upset or depressed, so I'm going to go to a licensed marriage and family counselor, but they're not going to ask me about, or a psychiatrist for that matter, they're not going to ask me about my pelvic health, so they don't really know if my cervix is in the right place or if I'm incontinent or prolapse because I'm going to buy special underwear that just masks the fact that I'm wetting my pants. And then they can't really, help. okay, so then they're going to send me to the pelvic floor PT. It's Everything is fragmented. So there is a place where all of that intersects and comes together and where um, you can do the healing. Because, you know, most of this trauma happens outside of connection usually. It's a it's a rupture of connection. And so the healing needs to happen within connection. And most women have never had touch from other women that's non-sexual and non-medical. And so this is like a witnessing space to really like connect and feel in 
to what is inside this mysterious place that we can't see, but we can definitely feel. And most people have never claimed that as their own um, and prioritized that part of their health. Uh, I work at the intersection of the worlds of birth, sex, and trauma. So a huge piece of my work is called Activate Your Inner Jaguar. And that was born because I'm, I have red hair and I'm freckled and I lived in Brazil for eight years. And one of my therapists, I was talking about parenting my daughter and I'm a single mom. And I was lamenting the fact that I had, I was the nurturing one and the disciplinarian at the same time. And so I was feeling sorry for myself basically and saying like, it's just so hard to do those both things. And he said, well, you know, you like, you're very, you're like a Jaguar. And I was like, okay, that's super cheesy, but you're from the Amazon. So I guess I'll (laughs) accept that. And then he's like, you know, it's the cubs, it's the mom jaguars that teach the cubs to hunt. It's not the dads. And so he had me watching jaguar and cub videos and watching how the onsas parent, the onsinhas, I don't know if you can call it parenting, but whatever, raise them. And then I started my session work and I'm a somatic experiencing trauma resolution practitioner. And we look at trauma as incomplete cycles in the body, things that happen too much, too fast, too soon, like eating an entire cake rather than eating a bite at a time of a piece of a cake. And so we go back and we give the body time and space to integrate and digest so that those old reverberations are not affecting present behavior. And sometimes we realize they're affecting our present behavior and sometimes we don't. So at the intersection of the worlds of birth, sex, and trauma, is this need to occupy the predator side of our nervous system. So we're in an organic universe where we're mammals. We have to be able to occupy both the predator and the prey within our nervous systems all the time, but specifically sexually is really important. Um, We can't actually fully occupy surrender and prey if we don't know how to access predator. It doesn't mean that we have to do that all the time. It means that, you know, I was Halloween a couple years ago. I was walking around with my daughter and someone came right up behind me in like a scary costume and I just instinctively turned around and roared and my daughter just kind of tripped out (laughs) because she was like like how did you do that and it was like I sensed it and my automatic risk that was my automatic response but for a lot of people the automatic response is freeze for me it would have been for a long time this you know where I'm at now is 25 years of self-development and exploration and training and and a real desire to have full capacity and full self-expression. And so I realized I had some women coming to my office for sessions and I was, they were coming because they were feeling in many different ways, like they were in victim patterns and that's our own language. And, you know, victim is analogous to prey. And so I thought, okay, well, in this safe session space, we'll crawl around and they'll be like the wolf and I'll be the rabbit or they'll be the jaguar and I'll be the antelope or something like that. And so we started doing that and we would start at the watering hole because the watering hole is neutral. No animals get killed at the watering hole. So we'll start there. And then, and basically what I realized is that they would never be the predator. They didn't know how, they didn't want to be, they didn't like the word. They just were like, I'm not doing this. And some of them were going into full submissive posture and they were freaking out because they were seeing themselves doing it in their Mm -hmm. mind's eye. And they're like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Like we're in this dome and I like you. And like, I don't even know why we're doing it. And I'm like, I know why we're doing it because this is, this is the loop that your system is stuck in. And this is why you're here. So how great that it's 
what it's revealing itself. Mm. And then over a series of sessions, I learned how to teach them how to stalk and how to be predators, which, of course, these words are super triggering, right? Like predator. Everyone's like, well, I would never want to be a predator. Uh, well, you might. You might need to be. You yeah. at least need to know that you have that power because knowing yeah. you have that power is also what tells you you know that you can give birth. It's yeah. what tells you you know that you are self-occupied and you can activate that pattern when you need that pattern. And you can save your own life. I mean, I think there's such an idea that, that women can't take care of themselves physically, but we can. Right. And it doesn't have to do with working out at a gym. Right. And that's, you know, it that, that could be a part of it, but it's it's really happening on a deeper fundamental nervous system level. And so the more I started discovering that, the more I thought, okay, I do one-on-one session work. There's only one of me. I'm the one of the only people that I know that's working at the intersection of these worlds. The trauma world is very sex averse because there's so many people with sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. There's not a big conversation about healthy sexuality, which to me is where it needs to start. If people can't even say the words vulva and penis without like having some trauma response, like this is a problem. If practitioners can't say those things because they've done their own shaming work, how are they going to help people to actually, it's because for me, this is about like the vastness of human potential. It's not just about learning how to like survive on the baseline level, right? So because there's just such enormous capacity when we're able to access our unconscious with fluidity and sex is the portal into that place. Birth is and death is, but sex is something that's more accessible to us than birth and death usually. So the Jaguar work was a way for me to basically be able to bridge these worlds. And, and I get so many inquiries about just ways that people are being that they're surprised by and they don't know how to change, whether that's choosing the same relationship pattern over and over again or every time their partner gives them the quote-unquote look, they retract and shrink away, recoil, or um, they only want to have sex in one certain way or they can only orgasm in one certain way and they don't understand that. And all of that is nervous system circuitry. So I developed an online course where we go through the basics of the nervous system, but it's not from a cognitive place. It's from a somatic place so that people are actually experiencing it as they go. And because just of the work that I've done and it's a live class, people can watch the recordings, but in the live, people just have a felt sense of what's happening and lots of things shift for them. Because what I love about it is that it's not neocortical. So that's also my beef with the con with all the consent conversations, it's all brainy and language oriented. And so much of this stuff is happening behind the neofrontal cortex way back. And so we can do all of that neo-rational stuff. But when it comes to the moment and there's threat or and, and threat could be anything, threat could be a first kiss, threat, threat could be the range of going to the doctor, you know, mm-hmm. then those other things operate and then people blame themselves because they go, well, why didn't I, I knew better. Why didn't I do it? Well, that's because your brain knew better, but your body did not because there's something else that's happening. And that's actually a highly intelligent response based on your past and who you are. And it's not adaptive now for you, but Mm -hmm. it was. And so to be able to meet that with compassion and to take out, because we have a culture that really says it's all about willpower. If you want it, it can happen. You can will it to happen. Just do better. Pull up your bootstraps. Work harder. Try harder. And these things don't work that way. You can't hammer out these patterns. You have to listen and you have to have usually connection, contact. So I really love that work. So far, like 300 people have taken the class and my goal is to have a thousand people take it just because 
you know, it's not people can do it from all over the world and it's not not everyone has access. I can't I can only do so many sessions personally. Yeah, you're so, one person. Where can people find it online to purchase? Um well my website is magamama.com, M A G A M A M A dot com and I think it's backslash Jaguar. Um, and I teach another course called Forging a Feminine Path and Embodied Conversation of Sexuality and Spirituality, and that's on there too. Uh, so, yeah, that's the – it's a great preparation. Sex is actually a great preparation for birth. Embodied sex, connected sex, um, exploratory sex I talk about in the book. And that's really like part of – I'm surprised, but a lot of people tell me the most impactful part of the book for them is the relational part of it, that mm. actually there's – templates for having discussions and there's suggestions for how how that's to remain so great and i saw some journaling connects which i love that's mm-hmm. so cool that's so great well thank you so much for joining me today and for the work you're doing everyone you can find the fourth trimester a postpartum guide to healing your body balancing your emotions and restoring your vitality on amazon at your local bookstore thank you so much for being here thank you Now for a very important question from a listener named Lolly who wrote this. My vagina often itches for a day or sometimes a few days after I masturbate. Is that normal? Lolly, thank you so much for your question. I have a feeling this is common for quite a few people. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Lolly, uh, so one of the things I have you think about it again, it sounds like it's often but not always. So just being sort of your your own investigator to think about in those times that you do have the itchy, what, if anything, might be different in terms of, you know, what are you using, whether it's a, a new lubricant or a sex toy. Um, and importantly, because again, it could be a day or sometimes a few days after, you know, any new soaps that you might be using, because it may not necessarily just be the, the masturbation in of itself may not be the cause. But often I find that it depends what you're masturbating with, but it's not uncommon. Um, people are not using properly uh, washing their sex toys so that something that to prevent the bacteria from growing. So certainly not only the washing, but also drying. It's not uncommon people put away uh, a sex toy when it's still wet. So I would definitely have you be mindful of washing, cleaning, drying sex toys before putting them away, seeing if that in and of itself makes all the difference. Also to notice, you know, is it a lubricant? Um, Sometimes I've had clients who are allergic to one or more of the ingredients. Um, so definitely you, you could play around with that as well. Um, but ultimately, I would say you just want to sort of rule out that it's not a yeast infection or vaginitis. Or, so if there's also discharge and or it's painful, definitely follow up with your gynecologist. Um, and the other thing I would say in terms of the masturbation is that introducing, again, sort of sex toys and other things that may have bacteria, that can change the uh, vaginal pH using a feminine wipe and or baby wipes after masturbation may also make a significant difference. So definitely try out these things. And as always, love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she had to say about, you know, trying some different kind of hygiene steps and seeing your gynecologist if the symptoms keep on. I might also recommend body safe toys if you haven't considered those, if maybe you're using a really porous toy that could carry some bacteria. And also, if you're using your hands to masturbate, make sure that you are washing them really well beforehand, which applies to partner sex too. You know, we all carry bacteria on our bodies and it's good to make sure that we're keeping ourselves clean and also avoid things that are scented in your vagina. So if you're getting wipes or 
using some kind of soap, make sure it's really gentle. Avoid anything that has added fragrances because all of that can make way for irritation or possibly infection and I think can add to that itchiness. The vagina is self-cleaning, which is totally amazing. And you can learn more about that actually in my Girl Boner book. I have a whole section on things to do and not do to your vagina, which I think is really important for us all to kind of learn about. I hope these suggestions helped Lolly and any of you out there facing kind of similar things. If you have a question for me or for Dr. Megan, drop us a note through our websites or on social media. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. And I would love it if you would leave us a rating and review. Ratings take just a couple of seconds on Apple Podcasts, and they help us take our sex-positive messages a lot further. Thank you so much for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.